بشیم نمیتونی اینجا بشینی من نمیتونم من باید بشینم Welcome back to another episode of the Fear of God podcast. Here at the Fear of God, we explore the holy and the horrific at the intersection of faith and fear, dissecting what scares us in order to find what saves us. Speaking to you right now is Nathan Rouse. Now, typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey, but he did say something recently to me, and I'm wondering if this is what's kind of got him indisposed, that he had to work 2,000 days for a new car. I mean, you know, times are kind of tough out there, y'all. So I, I, I think I kind of get it. Um, if he wants to explain a little bit, but hey, I'm, I'm just happy for the man. He's working. He's got some gainful employment. He's going to get some new wheels. He's a family man. You know, we, we need that uh, kind of in the station of life we're in. So I get it. I get it. While he is gone, though, I do want to um, encourage you, if you have not, to leave a rating, leave a review. Um, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, um, share the fear of God. You know, that would mean a lot to us. Um, these days we are in year three. We are thankful for all of you, uh, as Reed coined last week, constant listeners. Um, in addition to subscribing or leaving a rating or review did want to encourage everyone right now. We've got a couple of new, uh, designs in the T public shop, if you will. It's kind of fun to have a fear of God shop over at tpublic.com. Every purchase you make of merchandise, uh, fear of God merchandise during speaking in tongues, this series doesn't have to be a t-shirt, but every purchase we will donate a a portion of those proceeds to aid the Florence project. Um, If you're curious about what this is about, if you're curious what speaking in tongues is about, go back and listen to the whaling episode from two weeks ago, where we deeply expound on exactly the heart and intention behind this speaking in tongue series, but go grab a shirt, um, leave a rating, leave a review. Um, we uh, read you. Wow. You're kinda, yeah. You okay. You're I, kinda... I have been working a long time. It's actually 2,191 days, uh, that I have been working to get my new car, but now I have it 
and uh, thankfully it is running appropriately. Although it was a little weird, I picked up uh, I picked up a hitchhiker the other night. Oh uh, no! Yeah, that's, where? Yeah, it's never it was, smart. No, I shouldn't have done it. I was moving through the bad city part of town, and it was just it was not uh, it was not a smart move on my part. And ever since then, uh, my neck has felt uh, a little weird, a little sore. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, okay. yeah just a little sore. But, a little um, kind of couple of couple of pinprick kind of feeling, kind of kind of sharp. Yeah, it is yeah. a little. Yeah, it is a little sharp. Did it happen weird. to you too? You get that? N- no, it's a pinch nerve. I, just, it, I don't know. I read a lot, so. Oh, I see. I see. You yeah. you actually don't read as much as you should, but you know that. <laughs> Really At least they're actual books when I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Nathan. <laughs> hey, buddy. Hey, hey we had man. a great. Let's let's take a moment. Shout out Vera Gowdy, our forward correspondent last week. We had a great, Thank surprisingly, you, surprisingly robust. I don't mean because the movie didn't merit it, but a rather lengthy conversation uh, yeah. about multiple things. Yeah. One of which was the film Eyes Without a Face, which is about what it sounds like. Um, (laughs) um, this week we are, uh, in, uh, uh, episode three of speaking in tongues. It's hard to believe this series is trucking along the way it has. We're in episode three of speaking in tongues. We're in year three of the fear Mm -hmm. of God. Indeed. There's a lot going on, brother. Hey, (laughs) it absolutely is. I want to, I'm about to surprise you. okay? Okay. So I mentioned on while you were away, you know, kind of working on your car or working to get your car rather. <laughs> um, I mentioned that uh, folks during speaking in tongues, specifically if they purchase merch, merch perch, make a merch perch <laughs> over at the uh, Fear of God Tea Public Shop, that a portion of those proceeds would go to the Florence Project. Do you remember yes. we did that? We said that. Yes. Um, well, my friend. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. A little, little, little deja vu for you here. Uh, circa. Circa February 2019. Um, so we do have a couple of new designs in the mm-hmm. merch shop, the, the fog shop over at T Public, over at TP. You know, mm-hmm. see, I'm just making all these all these all anagrams. The yes, right, right, right. Um, you know, we've got that ain't right, which yep. kind of speaks for itself. Um, we've got the foggy heads. Um, well, it's it's a it's kind of I don't know if you've noticed. I know you can be very kind of secluded about your news consumption and whatnot, but I don't know if you've noticed, but we are in the middle of kind of a a, a rather kind of fervent political season. It's, it's kind of that, it's kind of that time again. Mm -hmm. Um, So we are in the middle of that season. I I, I think you probably know that. And, you know, despite the fact that we're making a very perhaps (laughs) uh, clear political statement with the intention of speaking in tongues, you know, we, we don't want people to feel, you know, kind of like left behind or, or left out of the conversation. And so, oh, no. you know, I don't want people to have to kind of like, well, am I voting for this? Am I voting for that? I want people to vote for us, you know, like, oh, like boy. with their with their dollars, perhaps in, in the form of merch purchase and with their their time, like how they mm. spend their time listening to our podcast. So I want to publicly shout out our good friend and, and artist of the pod, Jacob Hunt. And Reed, I'm going to, I'm just throwing this at you, man. I'm going to introduce oh, you no. to a brand new design for a t-shirt that's going to carry this... us through the next oh gosh, 14, God. 15 months. I've got we, my phone at the ready. As we observe either the the final crumbling or maybe new new exaltation of this country, depending on oh, who boy. you are and what you think. But regardless... They're going to have us to lean on, Reed. And oh, I just, 
This is not a final, but this is close to final. And by the time this episode airs, there will be a final. It will be in the shop. Reed, I'd like to introduce you to your new candidates for no uh, podcast <gasps> podcast. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that that is brilliant. Oh my gosh, that is brilliant. I want that on a button. Will You're going to you can that'll be doable oh real soon. Real soon gosh. here. You like oh, that? That is brilliant. Nathan, I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> Oh, we need God, we need a slogan. We need to figure out a slogan because there's not enough room on this. We're not going to add it to this, but we need a slogan <laughs> for you know for what you listener, what you will see if you go look at T Public today. But what Reed is seeing for the first time here is in the spirit oh, of a of a cam. Goodness. The image is in the spirit of a campaign button, um, and the outer circle of this button uh, has Frank and Nathan, the word Frank and Nathan, on top with Doctor Reedenstein below. 2020 oh so it is and then it is frank and nathan and dr reedenstein in suits as your candidates of choice oh. uh for this election season oh in gosh. 2020 so oh, and it's is amazing. and it's in, in a stroke of sheer brilliance jacob added to the bottom it says paid for by supporters of the fear of god podcast so oh, yeah oh my gosh so that add that to amazing. the collection um steve beckley i expect to see this you know you, you <laughs> steve steve posted a picture of himself with a foggy head shirt on the beach he oh, posted a he picture did. of himself in the it's live shirt in a cemetery i don't know but i want you to get creative steve that you've you've put the pressure on yourself here brother <laughs> To to get this new shirt and where you're going to post a picture of yourself wearing it, but read. Oh my gosh, that's happy, amazing! Happy candidacy. Will Thank you run with you. me? Will you be my running oh mate? My, I will. I will. This is very exciting. This is uh, yes. I we we have to come up next week with a with like a very spectacular slogan. We'll give that. Some, we'll give that some. We'll thought. give that, we'll that, give some, that thought. some time. Oh, well, that is speaking amazing. of slogans, and I want you to get to what you want to get to. But I did want to remind people. Last week we brought up one. Yes, this is awesome. I'm excited for this new T-shirt design. Ah, absolutely. I'm going to wear it all pretty much every day of 2020 <laughs> and the year to come. Um, but speaking of slogans, we mentioned last week, or I mentioned last week, you know, just as a fun, non-politically charged, but way to honor the joy, Reed and I, and you guys and gals as listeners, you guys, gals and ghouls, <laughs> as <laughs> listeners, uh, take in this particular time of year, that of Halloween, that of fall, that of autumn. Um, when you begin decorating your home for Halloween, post it. Take pictures. We want to see it. It's just yes. fun. We love this. It just We just want to beat each other here. And so Please. when you are decorating your home, take pictures of it. Uh, there's no contest attached to this. There's no you know, kind of winning, losing type of idea. It's simply so we can all enjoy each other's festivities surrounding mm -hmm. Halloween. So take some pictures, uh, post them, tag the fear of God and use the hashtag comfort in the creepy comfort in the creepy. We, as in we take comfort in the creepy, the things most people find weird, we enjoy and take comfort in. So post pictures of your Halloween decor, tag the fear of God, hashtag comfort in the creepy. We'll repost those and kind of share the love and read. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for our listeners. I'm thankful for Amen, three years brother. of the fear of God. I'm thankful for Halloween. It is a oh. 
Season of gratitude. So Go much. Yes, what you got? so much to be thankful for. Oh, man. And, I, you know, it's funny. This is going to be a very uh, ham-fisted sort of transition here. But, yes, I am grateful immensely. <laughs> I love our new design. Uh, thank Isn't you that awesome? Again. Yes, it really is. Thank you again, Jacob Hunt. That's just that's amazing. Um, I love our new design. Uh, love doing this show with you. Love you. Um, and uh, <laughs> I also, Nathan, you know what else I love? What? I love the seventies. I do. I love the seventies. <laughs> and, and so we have uh, a survey up on the social media feeds. If you have not already uh, gone and filled it out. Yes. In a couple of weeks, it will be October. And uh, in addition to hashtag comfort in the creepy, we will be spending that time as we have the last two years, rattling off your top 50 of horror films of the 1970s, some iconic works in the 70s, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Exorcist, The Wicker Man, they're, they're all there. So um, go to the social media feeds and vote on your favorites the same way we've done the past couple of years. We will be revealing, in October, we'll be revealing your top 50 and we'll be covering films from your top 10. So uh, be sure to check that out. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, it's all there. Um, and uh, yes, uh, uh, I'm very, very excited for hashtag I love the 70s. Um, but Nathan. Yeah, what, buddy? Before we dive uh, too deep or you know, hop on the skateboard and uh, float down the sidewalk of the film that we're talking about today, I've got to ask you one more question. Mm-hmm. What you watching? <laughs> What are you listening to? To 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 I just got one today, brother. I All just, right, I, I'm I'm in the mood for directness. Show, show, succinct, succinctness. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's I'm never about succinctness. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, we actually referenced. Uh, indirectly uh this one of this creator's work last week but my whatcha is i did have the chance recently to go see director alexander asia aha aja aja maybe i'm your your faja uh his most recent film crawl Mm. um fortunately at that point in time i had not seen the first dubbed 10 minutes of high tension um Uh. (laughs) but Call back to last week. Um, I did go see Crawl, which is about a swarm of alligators during a hurricane <laughs> in Florida. Um, it is kind of a climate change horror film. And mm, wow, you haven't seen this yet, right? No, no. As as of this recording, I have not yet seen. Uh, it. I think you'll really dig it. It's it is kind of exactly what you think it is, and oh, kind of okay. exactly what you want it to be. So, all right, all right. Um, I mean, it's kind of like eyes without a face. You're like, what is this about? Well, <laughs> <laughs> this this is what it's about. How long do you have? <laughs> Two <laughs> hours and fifteen minutes, or just it's about a person without a face? Um, crawl <laughs> like the the alligator hurricane movie. What's that about? Well, you know, it's about yeah. alligators it's attacking about alligators attacking a uh, berry pepper, and the actor oh. who plays his daughter, whose name is not in front of me. Uh, okay. In a hurricane in Florida. So, you know. All right. But it's really good. It's really good. It was a fun. I have heard it's very fun. Yeah. Friday afternoon venture to the theater. Awesome. And when it hits home release, it'll be fun in that setting too. So I would encourage you to check it out because you'll dig it. Very nice. Very nice. Well, I have a pair of uh, fun movies. Just one. That... Just one. 
Just, I'm just, just, kidding, just one. I'm just wow. Um, so I finally caught, and I believe you have seen it already. I finally caught Godzilla. King of I the did monsters. not see it. No, I oh, didn't see it. Oh, okay. Um, well, I won't get into a ton of specific spoilers, but it's really funny because about uh, Gareth Edwards' 2014 Godzilla um, got praised by some and heavily derided by others for in a nearly two-hour film, Godzilla had exactly eight minutes of screen time. So uh, the you know there was not a ton of visibility to that character. Godzilla King of the Monsters pivots in almost the exact opposite direction and gives you a lot of, now I know they are called in the film, Titans. Uh, I remember the last time we discussed <laughs> that, I was arguing because I was like, they're kaiju, and but I had not seen the trailer or anything about it. They call them Titans in the movie, and I understand that now. Um, but no, it, so a lot of people, uh, it, it's a bit of a divisive reaction to it. I'm in the camp that really enjoyed it. I don't think the film's perfect, but I really enjoyed it. I liked what they had to say. There is a theme without spoiling specific plot beats there is a theme of people who uh, sort of embrace destruction as the path forward and the complexities of, of doing that um, in the and film then, in the film yeah right and uh, and then there is also of course Godzilla fighting with a bunch of monsters and a bunch of other monsters fighting with each other and and lots of great uh, bold visual set pieces and uh, and if you are into that sort of thing I think you will have a very very good time um, so yeah I, well it's I really funny liked it. I I remember pitching to you even the the kind of extended trailer that it released and how kind of epic the visuals were in that. And so I was yeah, kind of yeah. looking forward to it and it's sort of tepid response made me less enthused, not, not necessarily to see it, but to, to kind of, you know, work to go see it. Yeah. Um, makes sense. But then I got worried, well, you know, did the visuals kind of translate on a smaller screen setting? So, I mean, like to you, how long is it? Uh, do you uh, it's right at, it's a little over two hours maybe like two yeah. hours ten yeah like do you you may have just said this and i apologize because i was thinking through this thought when you said it but do you like recommend it or kind of tip timidly recommend it or kind of what where uh, would you... i i somewhat timidly recommend it it's not the thing it's not the type of film that i would champion I'll mention it again. If you have not yet watched the Netflix uh, prequel to the Dark Crystal, uh, Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, I champion that. Everybody go watch it. Go watch it now. Um, Godzilla, I really enjoyed. So if you are remotely interested in Godzilla, I would recommend it. Um, but it has, to my surprise, received a, a bit of divisive reaction. I had a lot of fun with it. I enjoyed it. I think if you're in the mood for a bunch of big monsters clashing it out the first maybe 30 to 40 minutes is a bit uh sciency if you will um but uh, after that the you know the monsters begin to wreak havoc and i think if you enjoy that sort of thing you will enjoy this film hmm. um and so i have one more uh yeah. which which i think is really good uh we also saw the elton john biopic rocket man uh yeah which uh, yes and uh and it's got a bit of a different approach um it's difficult not to compare it to the other recent rock legend biopic uh about freddie mercury bohemian rhapsody but whereas bohemian rhapsody, whoa whoa what? i think you mean about queen well, I'm kind of playing with you. I just know they I were real, say, in, real intentional and forceful about it not being yeah, just a like, Freddy. It's not a Freddy Mercury biopic. No, yeah, it's it, a well, fair, you know, fair point. Fair I mean, point. about Freddy Mercury, about Queen, it's really just not a very good movie. So please carry on. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, um, 
But I, uh, so it's difficult not to compare it to that. Whereas that film was a much more sort of direct narrative. Rocket Man does some fascinating things wherein they play with certain musical numbers. Like it, it, they they have certain sequences in the film which are deliberately sort of dream slash fantasy sequences where his songs get used. But then it is also. Um, a relatively linear narrative biopic as well. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. I loved it. Uh, I th- my wife and I are both uh, very big El- Elton John fans. Uh, we got to see him live, uh, I believe, for our very first Valentine's Day as a married couple. We got to see him play with Billy Joel, which was really, really fun. Um, but we've been uh, Elton John fans for a long time. Uh, really thought the movie was was quite great. So I really enjoyed Rocket Man, and I really enjoyed Godzilla. I really enjoyed them both. And if you're interested in <laughs> either Elton John or Godzilla, I, I think you should check them out because they are uh, they're very good. Very, very good. Cool, uh, you know. I, I, now I kind of want to see a mashup of those two. You know, mm, mm-hmm. yeah. Rock, the rocket, Rocket Man taking down Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> well, until we get that sequel where Rocket Man takes down Godzilla, uh, that has been yet another s- installment of. When you can tell everybody, what are you watching? Oh, that's a great song. It may be what <laughs> you're reading or <laughs> what you're listening <laughs> to. <laughs> I hope you're watching. I hope you're reading. I hope, I hope you're, listening you're listening to how wonderful this podcast is with us and you. I love that song. That that's a great um, song. That was that went on a little longer than I had spent. That's okay. <laughs> it was worth it. It was worth it. It was, it was worth, worth it. it. Um, we'll read that. Thank you for kind of of course walking us through that and singing us out and letting me join you like i know i'm not the most melodious of voices but i, I appreciate to, when you of course you want I, want, I want to cue that song up right now i know you know i know it may be heretical but i so love the moulin rouge iteration of that oh that it's, no it's wonderful yeah that it becomes yeah. difficult i think the original is fantastic of course but yeah. moulin rouge that's where it's oh. at. Top five movies of all time, just in case anybody's wondering for me. It's a wonderful Um, movie. So, Reed, I just want to um, take you into the forest. A A dark forest. Wherein lies a cave. A dark cave. Wherein exists perhaps a door. And inside that door, well, we don't want to spoil things just yet. Here we are back, discussing episodes five and six of season one of the Netflix series, Dark. Read. Read. Oh, Read. my gosh. Read. I've been waiting for this pair of episodes because oh. I knew a major reveal. I told you. Oh, I was, re- yeah, I was yeah. re-listening to The Wailing. I was like, you know, Meikle's, uh, you know, kind of disappearance into the time stream is a big deal, but that there were still revelations to come. One of which is a very major one that occurs at the end of episode five, which is, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Not just, and I don't know if you, I don't know. I want to hear your thoughts here because again, like I said, when I first watched the series, not really knowing, sometimes I feel dumb watching stuff. Cause sometimes if I'm not <laughs> forecast, if I'm not intentionally trying to forecast where something goes, it can be successful at surprising me, which I love. Right. Right. Um, right. And I just wasn't thinking about the fact that Mikkel might never come back from the past. And oh, sure, on top sure, of that, yeah. 
never would have envisioned what we learn at the end of this episode, which is not just that Mikkel stays in the past, but oh that he is, in gosh. fact, Michael, Jonas's father, who who hangs himself at the start of the series. At the very beginning, yes. Yeah. So that revelation coming, that was, uh, yeah, that was pretty incredible. So I did have the notion that maybe he would never return and that maybe he would just live on from 1986 uh, into the present day. I did not remotely think part of what I was thinking is I was thinking that he was going to maybe turn out to be this big, massive time traveler and that maybe he was going to be the old man, the old man Mm -hmm. that we see wandering around. So, Mm -hmm. so I kind of had this eye towards maybe he's one of the characters that we've already seen, especially because they've been so deliberate about showing us different iterations of time. Sure in time of the different characters. So I was like, maybe Mikkel stays back in the past and everything. So I, I, I kind of was prepped for that, but no, when it's revealed like, Oh no, he is Jonas's father. I was like, Oh man, that's, that's really, really incredible. I loved that pivot. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's really exceptional. This, this episode just as a whole is a really, really strong episode. The episode's called truths. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we, we learn a lot in this episode. We not only learn the truth about, uh, Mikkel becoming Michael, uh, Jonas's father, but we also, uh, finally meet Noah, uh, yeah, in, in the, the real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and remind you, me, you meet him though in 86, right? Like that you meet it. Yeah. See, that's the thing. The first time you meet him, you meet him in 86 and learn that he is the priest that was, uh, referenced when they were standing in the sh- in the field with the sheep, um, and so he's that new priest that has arrived into town. But then you That's also interesting. I had not made that connection. Go ahead. Yeah. Then you also see him uh, in 2019. Right. What is the, the the guy Bartosz. Yeah, Bartosz. Yes. Um, so That's you need right. him because he's the man in the limousine and apparently has not mm, aged. Right. Like apparently. so. So, uh, so yeah, that is, uh, that is very, very fascinating. Uh, yeah, I, I, this is also the episode in which, well, I don't know. Do you have more to say about Noah? No, please, please. Um, I'm enjoying this is, your passion. This is also the episode in which we find out, which I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even know I needed to know this, um, <laughs> that, um, that Hannah, who mm-hmm. in 2019 mm-hmm. is Ulrich's lover, is also the person who back in 1986 falsely accused him of having assaulted uh, the uh, the girl that he was with romantically. Um, and it, it's crazy because he straight up gets like arrested and he's also, he's got a reputation in 1986 of kind of a bad boy anyway. Yeah. Um, and to learn that she so blatantly lied about him having done this heinous thing, uh, that was, man, there's just a lot going on in this episode. <laughs> there's a ton of, of well, big Well, it's funny because at first... Yes, and and this is a major puzzle piece. This episode uh, for the whole series or the whole first season, at least. Um, at first, I was unsure how to handle the what feels in the moment like a pivot in terms of Hannah's character. Yeah, but sure. I do think, especially on the rewatch, the show is so meticulously plotted that I don't. It a lesser show that would have felt like a sort of, oh, wait, 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 but what about this? You know right, what I mean? Right, like, right, right. like whereas it does feel to me like that was always the intention, you know, that yeah, we're yeah. just we're just kind of going to dole out information about these characters as we learn who they are as young people. But sure. that said, 
this episode does not do Hannah any favors whatsoever. I mean, and, and nope. more or less moving forward, I, I don't totally remember everything about the latter part of the season, but more or less moving forward, you're you're very not on Team Hannah anymore. Um, yeah, which is which is crazy because before she does that thing where she falsely accuses him, I wrote down there's that pretty great scene of her sitting on the bench yes. with Mikkel. And I was like, oh my gosh, she going to grow up and marry that guy? Like, and like that's the thing with you start putting these things together. It's like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. But um, I did love upsetting as it is. I do love the way they portray the the tragic love triangle between Ulrich and Catherine and Hannah. Uh, like I just yes. yeah, that's showing their younger selves interspersed with, um, you know, Ulrich telling Hannah it's over and and just all the different shots. The way they've uh, the way they layered and textured that is just really impressive. And, and well, and quite a bit. We we won't quite get there yet, but the payoff some of that has in episode six is pretty powerful. Um, yeah, I will say as much as I championed. Um, the actor playing Ulrich last week, I do think, and this won't come as any sort of shock based on having seen episodes five and six like you have, Jonas becomes very central to the narrative. Oh, um, sure, yeah, yeah. And I think that actor is fantastic. I mean, he, he really, really is. He really sells this kind of anguished yet slightly naive kind of mm delivery i don't know it's really strong sure sure no 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 I but i mean are you putting I, I can't remember i don't think between the two of these episodes it 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 clearly states it as it will ultimately uh, but okay. have you put together the implications for Mikel's identity on Janice's relationship to martha have you kind of sussed that out? Remind me who Martha is again. So there's the love triangle of the teenagers of Bartosz, Martha, and Yes, okay, Jonas. now I know who they are. Yeah. Um, so the implications of that means that, yes, that they once dated each other, and she's essentially his niece. Am I remembering? No, wait a second. His, they're, they're... his aunt. His aunt, yes, yes, yes. She's his a, aunt, yes. Yes, it is a Jon Snow, Daenerys Targaryen Scenario yes, situation. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that, that uh, I did put that together. Yeah. I mean, that it's so, up. it's, <laughs> no, I think it's fine. It, 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 <laughs> no problems there. So, um, please, I what? have, I have a theory okay. that I'm going to put on the record right now because I, I, and, and I so rarely put these theories and suppositions out, but it's, it's rare that we're going through a series that I haven't seen yet. So, uh, so I'm going to put this theory out. Before you uh, state whatever it is, I'm going to just go ahead and claim no response. Okay, that's fine. Yes, please give me no response. I'm just putting it on the record so I can go back and either be like, wow, that was really surprising. I didn't see that coming. Or I could pat myself on the back and be like, oh, I liked that. I, I, I was able to put that together. Um, so uh, with what they've already shown us with uh, Mikkel and everything, I'm still trying to figure out exactly who the old man is, so that's a bit of a wild card in my mind. Um, but I think Jonas is going to wind up being Trenchcoat Man. That's what I'm scratching at at the moment. Uh, is I think Jonas will be the will be revealed to be who we now know as like the Trenchcoat Man. But I could be wrong about that. He could be somebody else. I won't. Uh, um comment on the identity of the old man or trench coat man, but are there particular things that, that kind of 
lead you there or just kind of pondering the, who is this person? Well, uh, if you don't mind, let's pivot right on into episode six. Yeah, um, sure. So it, because of his intentionality with which he approached the cave mm. and uh, his his path through there, the trench coat man, for as mysterious as he is, everything he's doing feels very methodical and mm-hmm. feels really uh, intentional. Um, and so I was like, oh, it, it, it would be interesting if it was revealed that Jonas is actually this trench coat man. Um, so that's my theory that I'm throwing out into the world right now, having literally not seen past episode six. Which, which episode ends with trench coat man and the device approaching an older person? Episode six. Yes. Oh, okay. Episode okay, six. okay. Yes. So uh, he comes up to the older, so trench coat man comes up to uh, an older individual, uh, not the old man we keep referencing, who's kind of a, a bit off his rocker and, that's, and wanders. That's TikTok, into the, TikTok. Is that who you're yes, talking about? Yes, TikTok, yeah. TikTok, yes. Um, but he comes up to another man who is uh, working with a device, and he says, I want to talk to you about time. Um, and that's how that's how the episode ends. But, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, I, I may be wrong. I'm just trying to sort of put together puzzle pieces as they're coming to me, but um, the, the film holds back a lot of it. But he's, of course navigating those tunnels with a tremendous amount of confidence. Um, The the, the tunnel scene, by the way, creepy Mm -hmm. as crap, Mm -hmm. like just wandering deeper into the catacombs. Um, So I I found this interesting. The title of the episode is, um, if I'm saying it correctly, it's Latin, Sic Mundus Creatus Est, um, translated as... I imagine it's Creatus, but go ahead. Creatus. um, But uh, so the world has been created. Mm -hmm. Yeah. that's the uh, conceit of what's, you know, placarded on that door, um, uh, in the in the caves in the catacombs. Well, and I'll I'll throw this at you, which is not if it's a spoiler. I don't know the connotation of it anyway. But okay, I googled that phrase probably a little bit like you did, and I think it was on on top of and this interpretation I found was thus the world was created. But same idea, um, uh, but uh. but it attached to it the note. Sigmundus is a secret society of time travelers already established in 1921. Now, oh, that's the wow. only note I have. And I intentionally, once I saw that sentence, I did not read further. So I don't know if that's like ah. uh, a season two kind of firmament that Reveal. they sort of cement, right. you know. But mm. clearly, mm. you know, that's meant to, once he discovers that little door, uh, meant to be an indicator of the sort of the the mores and and sort of... Uh, uh, I don't know, secret society aspect of whatever is going on behind sure, the scenes here. Sure. And and to be fair and to be clear to you, like I know where season one ends, but and there's kind of one major reveal left to my memory, one major reveal left, but some of that, the, the, the firmer backdrop of some of this is still pretty obscured by the end of ah, the season. Okay. Um, so okay. So like even that note to me is a little bit uh, mysterious. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. I do love a lot about this episode. I mean, the whole confrontation, and there are several pretty momentous confrontations, um, whether it's um, Ulrich confronting Hannah. I mean, that's rough. Yes, very much so. His phone records done officially found him out too with Catherine back home. Yeah. Um, but you know, th- I'm sure we'll be seeing a confrontation c- come there. But I loved too when he's confronting Claudia, and we we didn't know any. Well, that's of that. I'm Regina. Sitting... Regina. Oh, Claudia that's Regina. is her mother. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry. So sorry. I mentioned this last week, but to clarify, Claudia is the nuclear power plant head. Her daughter is Regina, which is the curly-headed teenager in '86 who gotcha. grows up yeah. to be the cancer, you know, has can- breast cancer. Yes. And now Regina is married. Yes. Please correct me if I'm wrong. To the current power yes. plant owner, right? Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't so, know his name, but yes. Yeah. So when he called about the results of the of the mammogram, I was like, "Oh, wait, what is that?" Like that was the maybe I just wasn't paying enough attention earlier, but that was the first time I remembered that connection of them being married, being made in the show. Um, maybe I'm well. No, I mean they left him and Regina kind of on the outskirts of the narrative more or less until this episode when they start kind of firming up some of that relationship. But Um, it was when he when Ulrich goes to confront her about and and mm -hmm. you know all that he has been carrying, thinking she did it. That whole that whole thing was just. Watching it unravel is just captivating. Like, right. just like, oh man, he thinks she's the one turned him in. So then that big reveal when he goes back and examines the police reports and finds yeah. out, like, oh no, it was Hannah. Uh, yeah, that was that was pretty incredible. Well, and to add one more layer of uh, relationship here, I don't know if you picked up though, but Regina and nuclear current nuclear plant head is Bartosh's parents. I did know that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 I remembered that. Yeah. Well, so I will mention right here just uh, the reason that I threw out about Trenchcoat Man. And I don't even care if I'm incorrect at this point. The reason I threw that out is because on episode two, the very first time I saw the dead boy from 1986, I said, that's Mads. The very first time. Really? Yes, the very first time I saw it. And so that's why like, I don't even care at this point if I'm incorrect about Trenchcoat Man because I was like, dang it, I should have said... I think that's Mads <laughs> because then it would have been that's on awesome. record for the thing. But no, like I said, because I mean, re- keeping in mind, I did say this on uh, the episode about the whaling. I said I intuited a time travel conceit. So then when they're talking about uh, when he sees the boy and it's like, oh, that's not Mikkel. I'm like, well, who's the only other boy that's gone missing that they haven't shown us yet? Because they right. showed us Eric. And I was like, well, that's not Eric. It's way too young to be Eric. So I was like, that's Mads. That's probably Mads. Uh, or I thought in the back of my mind, or it's somebody that they haven't talked about yet. But um, so, yeah. It's so, so when, yeah. It's so funny. I'm sorry to cut you off. It's so funny it? now that we're getting into the meat of the season and, and kind of the, at least, I mean, who knows where season two goes, but at least at this point, the deeper mythology of the series. It's hard for me. I don't know if you have this feeling ever. Like, Time travel stories are so difficult to pull off. It is such a tightrope. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. on the one hand, I totally buy in to what Dark does. But on the other hand, you keep kind of wondering, like, is this going to develop some some level of inconsistency that's hard to reconcile? You know, I, I don't right, know. I, I right. don't know kind of what they do. But just things like, you know, the, the what you just described, the 86 kid being Mads, having ported to the present, mm-hmm. um, being such a huge moment. And... And I love stuff like that. Like it's, it's oh, so yeah. because, and let me phrase it this way: what I love, and really good narratives can do this, is it. it I don't love that it's a oh, it's a time travel story, and I love time travel stories. But it's what I love about it is the wrestling of normal people in traditionally normal scenarios encountering paranormal phenomena. You know what sure, I mean? Like, like sure. they're kind of wrestling through. This is not acceptable 
sort of stuff. Like this is right, right. beyond mortal intellect to be able to fathom. And and just mm-hmm. there kind of touching touching the rail, as it were, in terms of comprehending it. And I love right. the final or one of the final scenes of Jonas between worlds and that that oh, is yes. revealed to be what's causing the the sort of fluctuations in the electrical right, grid right that yeah. we've been seeing the whole season yeah it's yeah it's pretty great it's pretty great and i love right up before that moment um and in fact it's happening kind of simultaneous to that moment i do love the scene where what was her name the uh, the daughter's name who's uh Jonas's aunt oh, you know, oh uh, Mar- martha Martha. Um, so I love her performance in the play culminating in like Catherine what running I, up. Yes. What I wrote down and I want you to get back to your thought. What I wrote down on that specific scene is this is a really sweet moment with Katharina comforting Martha on stage. But all I could think is that's some really bad theater etiquette. Isn't like, it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's awful. It's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. And it's, uh, yeah, it's really, it's really funny. Uh, there, there's a, uh, I won't recount the whole story cause we just ain't got time, but there's a, uh, something that our old college professor Keith talks about a particular incident on stage that happened when we were all on stage. And he said, yeah, my respect for you as, as actors and theater people like went through the roof. My respect for you as people just went right down the toilet. (laughs) Um, when he was talking about, I can't believe you, I can't believe you laid down one of the bedrock moments of (laughs) the mythology of our friendship. And you're like, I'm just going to touch and go here. Okay, fine, fine. So, 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 um, I just uh, want to be sensitive to time, but, um, so we're doing a performance of Our Town, and uh, there's uh, there's an actor. Uh, sh- should we name him or should we keep him uh, a secret? Oh, I mean, it's I'm going to post this to YouTube as soon as this episode <laughs> airs. So. Okay, okay. So our good friend Jeremy, um, he is playing Mr. Webb in Our Town. Nathan's playing the stage manager, um, and I have a much smaller role. I think I was like the constable or something like that. It really was like a four line role. But uh, Nathan is out there on his own and is completely oblivious to the fact that backstage one performance night, uh, Jeremy, our friend, is feeling terrible Performance night. Performance night. This is not a rehearsal. This is a performance. Jeremy is feeling terribly faint. He's feeling terribly sick, um, and he's, he's feeling like he is imminent to passing out. Now, I was his understudy, and there was a debate right up until, like, seconds before... Um, this happened that, should I go out for you? I know the lines. Let me go out for you. Would have thrown you off a little bit, you, Nathan, but, you know, like, I can go out for you if you're not feeling up for it. Jeremy insists to go out there, steps out on stage, delivers, I think, a line, if he even gets the whole line out, and faints dead away. Like, just completely passes out. With you on stage. I love that this is happening because our our narratives in uh, lost language are need to meld a little bit here. So it, it wasn't so much. He delivered a line and then fell to the ground. He comes out and yes, I'm playing the stage manager and I'm supposed to be this omniscient narrator character. My friend Jeremy walks on stage and it takes me about 10 seconds to realize something's up. And, mm. but I don't, I have no clue that what you just like, that's the first time in 20 years since this happened that I've heard that story. Um, oh, your, wow. your, your, oh, your, wow. your version of, of what you just described. So yeah. all I know is he comes out and he's kind of winded. So we're apart, probably about 15 feet apart from each other on stage. I just kind of in character walk over to him. Yeah. yeah. He places his hand on my shoulder 
which again, I'm, I'm still not aware of the severity of the situation. Mm -hmm. And then he slumps into me passed out. And then (laughs) I kind of cradle him to the floor. This is on video. We will post this because Reed brought it up. Um, (laughs) And then I have the choice because our fellow actor and peer Carrie comes out on stage because he, she is playing his wife in the show. So I call her in character as her character name out. Oh yeah. Mrs. Webb. You just look, you just look, you'll see it on the video. You just look to the back. Mrs. Webb. (laughs) I am desperately saying, Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy. Oh my God. And he does not come to. And then other townsfolk in character come out. Including the town doctor. (laughs) Yes. Who brings out, thank God, his stethoscope in character, administers, you know, the stethoscope to him. They pick him up and haul him off stage and I go right back into the show and we improvise the rest of a play from there. We proceed to write out, improvisationally, we proceed to write out the third biggest character of the show. He, he appears one more time later when he was seated, delivers a few lines, but then like the very next scene, we kill him off. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it was, oh my gosh! It was the craziest night of theater that I have ever participated in. To and, to uh, analogize to analogize this to dark, it would have been like once Jeremy had hit the floor with the soft thud that he did because I was yeah, a good friend right, and gen- right. gently got him to the floor. <laughs> if the director had come up on stage and stopped the show, so then is Katarina walking up on stage yes, to Marta? Yes, so like taboo in the theater. You, the show must oh, go on, man. That's it. it. Must. It's a very it sweet scene. It's a very powerful and sweet scene. It is. And it's it's funny too. Yes, I'm I'm really glad that we were able to tell that story. But um yeah, the uh the scene in dark it, it is. It's sweet. Um it, it's very moving. Uh but yes, I was sitting there like, yeah, this this is awful that she's just interrupting this play. And that nobody's doing anything about it. Like everybody's just sitting there like, is this okay? Like what's happening right now? <laughs> well, and then, goodness gracious, immediately after that, so oh my gosh. right she before that, f- yeah, right before that is when Katharina calls into the radio show and basically says there's a murderer in our town yeah, and right, this right. town is a festering wound. And then she goes to see her kid in a play and it's really lovely and heartfelt and sweet. Then she walks out and Regina comes in, who we've just learned 10 minutes prior. They have this deep, be- deep seated kind of animosity. And right, right. Katharina beats the tar like physically out of this cancer patient. And, oh my gosh. you know kind of just goes to town on her and uh that's it's intense that's pretty yeah it's pretty rough i am eager um so that's really all that i had on this you know these episodes but i'm eager to get into we'll have one more episode next week where we'll just cover episodes seven and eight and then we'll have uh, a full episode to talk not only about the beats of the narrative but the overall themes of uh dark so yes i'm i'm loving it and i'm very very excited to be covering it well and as a final note on these this pair of episodes i do love the scene of jonas coming out in 86 encountering hannah and her dad and just the sheer You know, kind of in the real world, his head would have physically exploded off of the top of his shoulders. But, um, you know, just I love just the bafflement he's experiencing Mm -hmm. in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, Reed, stay tuned when next week we discuss episodes seven and eight of season one of the Netflix series Dark as we inch closer to 
not just the singularity of 1986 and 2019, but the end of the season, wherein the identity of the old TikTok man may be revealed, the identity of the trenchcoat man will definitely be revealed, the prior TikTok man just because Nathan can't recall exactly who it is. Until then, this has been TV Guideposts. TV Guideposts. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay. So uh, before we get into the, the film proper, um, as we've been doing on this series, Speaking in Tongues, um, I want to give a shout out to some additional films from this region. This week we are covering uh, the debut film from indie director Anna Lily Amarpour. Um, we are covering her first film, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Um, and we'll have a multitude of thoughts about that. But I wanted to uh, also give some recommendations. Uh, there's actually only one I can give because I looked around to try to see what other films, uh, what other uh, Iranian, Persian horror films there were to recommend. And there's only one that I could find access to uh, that I had seen that I could speak to specifically. If there are others, they are not widely available to be seen or widely talked about. But the other one is available as of right now, is available on Netflix, um, but is a film that I do love. Uh, I was so torn about whether to cover a Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, or whether to cover this film. Uh, but it's the film Under the Shadow, um, directed, I'm going to butcher this name, please be gracious with me, um, but uh, directed by Babak Anvari, uh, I believe is how you say that name. Um, but, uh, but Under the Shadow is a fantastic film um, about a mother and her daughter uh, who are in the middle of a, a war-torn Tehran uh, in the 1980s. And while they're struggling with all of that, um, and just trying to survive and live life in that, then a mysterious evil presence begins to haunt them where they live. It is a wonderful film. Uh, seek it out. As I said, it's uh, available to stream on Netflix and available in all the other major outlets to rent. Well, let's, So, Under let's, the Shadow. Let's dive in a little bit there, because I you have talked about Under the Shadow to me, uh, separate yes. speaking in tongues for a solid 18 months or so now, if not Oh, longer. gosh, yes, yes. What... Yes. Ultimately, and I'm worried you're going to be like, "Well, Nathan, you chose this." Um, what <laughs> ultimate? What ultimately made you sub in a girl versus Under the Shadow? Uh, okay, okay. Uh, I didn't fight. I didn't fight for Under the Shadow, but y you chose this. I thought curated, that might be your answer. I just couldn't remember. <laughs> I mean, like, like honestly, and that's not. A, I love a girl who walks home alone at night, um, or a girl walks home alone at night. Like, I, I, it was a real difficult decision which one we were going to cover um but no like honestly the reason i pivoted to uh girl walks home alone at night is just it was it was one you were a bit more familiar with or had heard a little bit more about and i was like okay well i'm i'm picking almost all of these so like let me let me make sure that this is included in in our uh repertoire and it's it, it was really unfortunate because honestly i would love to cover both of these i mean if we do another uh session of these uh sometime further down the line because there will be Stay tuned. There will be a phase two of this, but covering, you know, still unique regions. Uh, I would love at some point to talk about Under the Shadow, but it was really just approximation. I think in general as well, I think more people are familiar with or have heard of A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night than have heard of Under the Shadow. I may be wrong about that, but that's my impression. Um, so th those number well, of factors. And again, you know, we could return to that. We've got a series brewing um, just 
spoiler alert, that kind of the working title is Who Knows What Evil Lurks in the Hearts of Men, in which case we can deal with Under the Shadow. You know? Sure, you know, because the shadow knows. <laughs> it's... <laughs> thought you were going to sneak in a little reference. No, no. Moments like, I just got to warn you, moments like that are friendship tests. It's like, <laughs> let's see. Are you going to know? Are we really as kismet compatible, just wow. hetero life mates as I think we are? <laughs> and you you proved me right. And I'm just right, thankful, right. thankful for moments like that. I love it. I love um, it. That's hysterical. So, yeah. So, by all means, we're about to dive into <laughs> A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. But by all means, please uh, check out Under the Shadow. Uh, you will be richly rewarded with a wonderful, uh, thrilling, uh, modest little horror film uh, that I think you're going to enjoy a lot. So, but let's uh, let's let's dive into to this one. You had not seen it before, um, and uh, is that a question? Had, no, the question is: Had you? What was your familiarity with it? Because I know you hadn't seen it, but what was your familiarity with it before this viewing? Uh, the title and the cover art. All right, all right. So that's that. Um, <laughs> no, sincerely. So, uh, so it's a fascinating little piece. I had heard about this when it, closer to when it came out, um, making a lot of critical buzz, and you know, cycling the independent circuits and everything. Um, it's a real, it's a really fascinating film to me. Uh, I have a, a few bits of trivial, uh, tri- trivial bits to share. Main one being, so it was called the first Iranian vampire story, and the cast is made up entirely of people with an Iranian heritage. Perhaps the most sophisticated cast member is uh, if, again, I'm going to be terrible at these names, but the uh, Mozan Marnot. Which character? The prostitute. The, okay. uh, and right. each of them have each of them are credited whether they have names uh, as well or not they're credited as kind of the role that they play the position that they have like there's the junkie the prostitute the princess the street urchin the pimp uh, the main vampire is just called the girl um, so they they all have these sort of who uh, is the princess uh, the princess is the the one whose house he's working on that then later shows up at mm. the uh, oh, nightclub right, 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 and right, gives yeah. him you know gives him the drugs and stuff. So, uh, but uh, the most sophisticated is the one who played the prostitute. That actor has written and performed uh, supposedly a very successful one-person show, uh, speaks five languages, like, you know, very uh, highly educated, uh, very sophisticated performer. Uh, The most prolific cast member is actually the addict father, Marshall Manesh. Uh, He has more than 100 acting credits to his name. But everybody in the film had uh, an Iranian heritage, as did the director. What's fascinating is it's set in the Middle East with a fully Iranian cast and was filmed in Taft, California, which is right. like an hour, and yeah. an hour and a half away from me. <laughs> so, well, what's funny uh, about you saying that. that is once I discovered that, I was like, huh, are we breaking our rule here? You know, I mean, oh, cl- oh, clearly no, no, we're, no. we're not, but it was just a really surprising factoid to discover. Right, right. Um, and it's funny because uh, now he's going to kill me if I'm wrong about this. I believe, I believe he either spent time growing up there or was born there. That our podcast benefactor, Tyler Smith, uh, I believe is from Taft, California. <laughs> I believe he's from there. Um, I would need to double check that. I know for a fact that he but used to live is there. Is he of but... Iranian heritage? Uh, not that, not the last I checked, uh, okay, need, okay, to, okay, need, okay. Need, need to verify that. Um, 
So, but it's interesting. Just a couple more, a uh, couple more things. You you do see the director as a cameo in this in two ways. Uh, she's under a lot of makeup as uh, what's credited as the skeleton party girl, mm-hmm. who they call uh, Sheeran at the nightclub scene. Um, but she's also a skateboarder herself, and that long skateboarding shot. Yep. where uh, th- she's the one on the skateboard until it comes closer and yeah, pivots to the more that, close-up of the actor. That's really funny because I remember uh, that shot being so great, and then it kind of cuts to the close-up, and I was like, oh, well, but that doesn't oh, make sense. Right, 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 right. Um, but yeah, so it's the director on the, um, uh, on the skateboard in a long shot. This was something that I thought was interesting. So, speaking of skateboards, uh, so that full blot, that full body cloth that the girl wears is called a a, shod, a chador, I believe is how you say it. Uh, it's a traditional Muslim garment. Um, the director saw it, and immediately, this is the apocryphal story. Immediately upon putting it on, uh, said she felt a sense of of empowerment, and immediately envisioned, uh, you know, a very powerful being like a vampire wearing it um and uh you know just it flowing like a cape as she was gliding down or skateboarding down the seeds of the film were formed by her trying it on for the first time and and of course it's uh features majorly in the cover art which you referenced uh earlier the poster art um so that that specific garment which the girl is rarely seen without we have a couple of shots where she's not wearing it but um, but she's rarely seen without it and never outside without it. That kind of formed the seeds of the film. My last little bit, they, there is a graphic novel that accompanies this. Now, I haven't read it, but presumably it indicates a couple of things that not only is the vampire 187 years old, but that she views herself as a sort of moral police um, determining in a very deliberate fashion who deserves to live and who doesn't which the film does not make terribly explicit. It implies, but it doesn't get into the to the specifics that way. But supposedly, the graphic novel that accompanies it does make things that explicit. So I thought that was interesting. Hmm. But what did you what did you think about the film? Like in general, what was your what was your general response to it? Um as a preface to the answer to that question, I did want to throw out I have not been able to watch all of this, but I did watch pieces of um, if you Google her name, Anna Lily Amirpour and Roger Corman, um, there's a 45-minute mm. interview Corman did with her at a screening oh, um, in January nice. of 2015 um, at a at a public yeah, it's like a public screening. He interviews her, and and what I've watched of it is really interesting. Nice. Um, so when I first watched this, those first I don't know 10 or 15 minutes. Are a little slow, but yeah. well, I'll um, I'll cut to my feelings right now. Okay, my feelings right now are, I love it. Okay, it took me a minute to kind of get on the frequency. Like yeah, I said, those first yep. 10, 10 to fifteen minutes, and in fact, I remember feeling a little sluggish, like in the watching of it. I was like, sure, sure, this is kind of slow. Um. I immediately kind of got energized by the in the apartment encounter between her and the drug dealer. Oh my gosh. Yes. And yes. kind of from there on was just really captivated by it. And I rarely to never do this, but tonight before our recording, 
I went back and just rewatched scenes. Oh, um, sure, sure. That I was so, uh, so kind of taken with. And mm, mm. I don't know. I could see, you know, kind of stage of life is challenging sometimes these days to like brew on something kind of over time and, and marinate and or sure, watch multiple sure. times. Yeah. But I could see a scenario where I could easily kind of cue this back up to kind of mm, dive mm-hmm. dive back into it. So sometimes I, I don't like answering that question because it kind of gives away the recommend at the end. But the, yeah, I mean, no, I, thir- I, understand. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I am very, uh, in a way that neither of our other speaking in tongues entries have it kind of energized me thematically ah, um, gotcha. to it to at least i don't know i think there's something pretty interesting and subversive happening in it so so yeah awesome. i mean I, I i i i really enjoy it a lot and i think it's very well executed especially once you kind of once the once the establishment of the given circumstances is in place and you meet the girl it, right, it kind of right. kind of goes up a level yeah uh, yeah absolutely absolutely uh it's a captivating film it's a really really captivating film i do agree that it it kind of demands that you follow it and mm-hmm. and that or, or that like you you adjust to what it's trying to do uh, rather than meeting you halfway, I think it just sort of insists that hey, if you're going to be here, you you need to get on board with what we're doing. Uh, but I love it for that. Um, I love, 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 love that this is in black and white. And mm-hmm. the re the reason I love it so much is because I'm a, I'm a fan of black and white films in general. But the reason I love so much that it's in black and white is some of these shots are outstanding. The framing Reed, in some I of these think... shots is staggering. I think the and this did ping for me when I first watched the film. I did go back amongst the scenes I rewatched. This was one of them. The scene immediately after he spins the disco ball in her apartment and the following two minutes are maybe one of my favorite scenes in a movie in the last five years. Like Whoa, I loved it. I loved yeah. it. I yeah. loved yeah, yeah, yeah. because there's a feeling sometimes with films where something flourishing happens in the film craft where you're like, okay, you're just showing off. There yeah. was something so it's clear. This director is so interested in her own characters, which is really fun. Um, yeah, sure. And to execute, I'm pretty sure, you know what I'm talking about that scene where he spins the disco ball. She's framed on the right side of the screen is, yeah. is, oh, is yeah. in frame for a solid probably 30, 40 seconds before he even enters the frame. And yep. then there's this whole oh, yeah. minute and a half, two minutes of this like lovely, powerful, passionate kind of, but, but, but not, or, or uh, maybe uh passion is wrong or intimate kind of yeah. engagement. Yeah. That's just so, and the music is great. Like I loved oh, that yeah, scene. The music. Yeah, yeah that's the that that's scene. the fear song, right? Like uh the fear's got a hold on yes, you. Yeah. Yes, yes. And um oh my gosh. And and when she he kind of presents his neck to her. Which is well, fascinating because he doesn't well he doesn't really Yeah, he, go ahead. It's not quite so much because I and the only reason I'm gonna ch- uh challenge is the wrong word. The only reason I'm gonna check that is having just rewatched the scene itself, 
he because he has no suspicion at that point of 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 her true true self but no no not he at just all. he comes in towards her she turns around and i think it's that she kind of in an intimate what would have been perceived as embrace kind of tilts his head back and he oh. per, he permits it it's not so much uh, that he uh, exposes okay. his neck to her it's kind of like you know if if you were to ask him in that moment do you know she's a vampire no he doesn't but right she right, right, right. kind of tilts his head back and now i'm remembering this in real time uh one of the true lovely things about that sequence is yes she tilts his head back which ostensibly in vampire kind of lore would be now she's gonna take him but she then kind of places her head on his chest and the song trails off into a heartbeat and so it's mm. just that's how the scene mm. ends so yeah i mean i i yeah i yeah. freaking love that scene well, and you mentioned you talk about the music. I mean, the music is vital to this yeah. film. And if you and and I haven't heard or read a lot of interviews with the director, but uh, I know from reciprocal critical r- reviews of the film uh, that music is evidently like a, a a vital entry point into what she's after for the yes. film. That it's almost more important than the script. Um, that what I did you know, watch of that Corman interview, she directly comments on the music. Yeah. Ah, gotcha. Yes. And I love this soundtrack. I mean, the soundtrack has got some fascinating uh, the, the the nightclub scene after he's taken the ecstasy and everything is sort of uh, in passing shadows. Uh-huh. Uh the song that's playing over top of that is hypnotic and haunting and it's just there's so many sequences where in the in a way, uh, I don't want to I'm resisting making this comparison so much, but he's known for this. Here it is. Um in in the way that Quentin Tarantino can do some very interesting things with music in his soundtracks, mm-hmm. um, however you may feel about his films or about his use of music or whatever like that, he's he's very deliberate with it. Sure, and does some really compelling things with soundtracks in his films, and in that same cloth, she has just got. I, I could see her doing like an entire sort of operatic piece, but with different pieces of curated music that yeah. are meant to yeah. evoke specific emotions in you at specific times and uh, and so yeah I love that I love her sense well and it's so it's that. so kind of naturally deployed throughout the film too I mean I like I right. said it's I don't I'm going to use the phrase I love this scene it's not nearly in the same way as the one I just described but the reason I love the scene I'm about to describe is because it energized me to the film after 15 20 minutes of kind of slowness but when she's at the drug dealer's house I mean I love just like this idiot machismo. I mean, yep. he's he's oh, yeah. he's snorting lines. He gets up. He lifts weight. He, he's doing curls with the dumbbells. Oh my gosh! He wanders over to her and starts dancing while he takes his shirt off. Like it's just this really mesmerizing scene because she's so unmoved by it. Oh um, yeah. Oh yeah. And and then he wanders back over to. This is a super random note here. When you get a chance and take two minutes or 30 seconds to watch this moment, rewatch that scene, I swear. So on his on the end table or the coffee table where he's snorting Coke or whatever it is, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is a safe, which is what Arash comes back for later on when he gets the keys. Yes, yes. Well, on top of that safe is a gun. I swear 
that gun is a Nintendo Zapper. It is exactly what it looks like to me. Anyway. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, interesting. I mean, I mean, you know, odds are very you low that you... that's true, but it, it, <laughs> definitive, know, it definitively looks like a Nintendo Zapper um, yeah. from 1986, which is when Dark uh, ha- mm. happens. Um, but no, that whole sequence is really strong. This is blurring into thematic stuff, but just the stoic, his character, the drug dealer character, is such a, and I don't, I don't know if you saw this. I'm jumping all over the place, but the movie is. Let's is, let's do that for this film. Just yeah, yeah. follow the, follow the, where you want. The movie go. is articulated as a feminist vampire western, which mm, is just mm-hmm. you know fantastic. Um, <laughs> but you know his character is such the boorish, brutish, um, kind of this may be an odd pivot here but gaston type character like the the one you expect to kind of impose his will perhaps even do violence against her and and yeah i love her kind of stoicness in the face of him i don't know i could keep going on things i love but sure sure i think i please Stop. I was just going to say, one of the things I loved is, uh, this is a, a bit more trivial, but I love when her fangs just sprout yeah. for the first time. Oh my gosh, it's great. Because, I mean, you know you're dealing with a vampire movie, you have a pretty good idea that she's the vampire, but what's going on? And so then when he's doing what you did, you know, like very much sort of showing off in these really pretentious ways, and then... I forget exactly what leads up to it, but um, but like his finger is near her mouth, and then all of a sudden, like those fangs sprout, and it's just like, oh my gosh! It immediately becomes like it's so methodical and really creepy, and then you know immediately after that, things get much more uh, harrowing for poor said drug dealer. Um, but yeah, I I love that shot, love it so much. Man, there's so many places to go. I so I did do a little reading. There's a way in which the whaling, the geography matters for kind of comprehension of the social dynamics. Yeah, but yeah. but you can kind of get what you need out of the narrative. Um, sure. There's a way in which Eyes Without a Face feels like a straightforward kind of Hitchcockian type of thriller. Hmm. Um, yeah, not yeah. again. This is based perhaps in some ignorance, but not totally rooted in a French sort of worldview or sort of cultural touchstone as much as just a French language thriller. Um, right, right. It felt important to me to kind of research this a little bit because, I mean, from go from the title, it's subversive, which is a girl walks home alone at night. Well, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Inherent in that is what we would assign threat to mm-hmm. the girl. Mm-hmm. To said girl. Right, <laughs> right. Right. And I just love and this is this is one of the reasons when you said what do I knew, all I knew was the title and just that 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 sort of cover image. And so once the film starts revealing itself, I was like, oh, this is pretty badass. Yeah, um yeah. and once I sort of comprehended you you already referenced it, but the Chador, the Chador, however they pronounce it. Right. Do that as the, what we would historically and in literature have as the, the vampire's cape, that icon being that, I mean, it blows my mind. I love Mm, it. mm. I love it. This sort of billowing nature, what, 
what is in effect a cape, but also has cultural, deep cultural history and significance. I don't know. I, I really, really dug a lot of what this is after. Um, sure, sure. I'm, I'm kind of scanning my notes here a little bit because I do have a few just kind of like traditional surface things. Su- yeah. Surface level. Well, notes. I'll mention one Speak, while you're please. glancing yeah. at that. The um, so my very favorite shot in the film is the scene where uh, Arash first encounters her oh, on so the streets, like that has those lights lined up along the sidewalks. It's such a crisp, sharp. Uh, sequence of shots and it's a captivating scene I love 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 that he tells her he's Dracula <laughs> and I just I love it I love it so much uh, it reminds me a moment like that reminds me of I'm stealing your thunder I'm sorry continue your no sequence. no 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 I'm done well like that was it I just wanted to reference I that. remember like I said the 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 scene with the drug dealer kind of energized me to the film the first time I watched it, it was a little slow to get in that energized me when that interaction happens that was the first moment I was like, okay, this is special. Yeah. You know, sure. like, oh, like yeah. oh, when yeah. a, as the, as the sort of genre would attach itself, the, the feminist vampire Western, when mm-hmm. the subversive quote unquote antagonist who is a vampire encounters mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the male, which is for all intents and purposes, her and her antagonist in the world she occupies. Sure. But he is dressed like a vampire and says, I'm Dracula. I mean, I just, that felt like such a special kind of cinema moment. I I loved it. Sure. Sure. Oh yeah. It it really is. And I mean, you could say that about so many elements to this film. Like it really is such a uh, distinct vision. It's, I'm not even positive that I'm, on the wavelength of everything that it's after and everything that it's trying to upend. Um, but I just don't know it again, if you're on the frequency, I don't know that it's possible to walk away from this film unchallenged or unmesmerized. Or I mean, like if you, I could see somebody just sort of trying to enter into it, not getting past those first 15 minutes and just be like, well, this is slow, you know, right, which, right. you know, whatever. But if you, if you really allow the film to draw you in, uh, yeah, it's it's really compelling. It's deeply, deeply compelling. Well, and she's so good. Like you, you mentioned the kind of murderer's row of talented performers here, but she's so good at portraying this kind of youthful ancientness. You know, um, yeah, that's that's yeah. really strong. I, one other sort of cursory scene, but even then, is is just indicative of masterful filmmaking. Oh my gosh, I love the scene when she encounters the father and mirrors him. Mm. Uh I mean that's that's amazing. Oh my it's so amazing. Yes. Yeah, it really is. And that's a pretty harrowing th- like when um it's a pretty rough scene when he forces Ati the prostitute to to take the heroin. Yeah. Um but then it, it was fascinating to me that like the girl kind of I guess felt it. Like she's not in the room, but you know, like like feeling mm-hmm. what was taking place, and then just arriving in all of her glory and fury. It was oh man, it's yeah, it's well. Let's okay, man, so really all right, let's kick this door open. So do it, do it. It's funny because clearly, even in the first watch, um, which again at this point I'd say maybe I've watched 
it once and a third because I did go back and rewatch some of these scenes. But sure. at the first watch, I'm like, okay, this is clearly, you know, a... In the moment, I don't know what that I would have said feminist, but that's because it was late and I was tired from the first 15 minutes. But mm-hmm. um, very feminine, subversive, uh, who is traditionally the powerful oppressor vampire is now the sultry, not sultry, but um, sensual kind of, you know, lurky, stalky vampire uh, and is yeah. feminine, yeah. is female. And I've been kind of processing this notion and you you bringing up her intuiting or her sensing it's very noticeable that the cat plays into that moment yes Um, oh yeah oh yeah and so to me she becomes this spirit of vengeance truthfully Mm. um Mm. and and it's funny because i've even been trying to process and i love the scene when she interacts with the young boy um Oh my gosh, it's so intimidating. It's great. It's oh, great. Man. I love that he thinks he's running from her and then she's right in front of him again. Oh, well, that's wonderful. So I guess where I'm going with this is so few so few things that are left to be said about this movie can be extracted from the thematic elements of it. And right. I was kind of processing this scene where she just presses this kid who you like. Like it's not yeah, yeah. the druggy dad. It's not the drug dealing you no. know, kind of jerk. He's a nice it's kid. This yeah. kind of sweet kid. And, you yeah. know, seems, seems to have nothing going on. But she presses him. And are you a good boy? Are you a good boy? Don't lie to me. And then kind of ends the scene, start scaring him with her teeth, reveals herself. And Yo, says, oh, I'll, yeah. I'll oh, be yeah. watching you until the end of your life. Mm-hmm. And so you couple that. I don't have a real clear through line I'm aiming for here. So I'm just talking, but you couple that with the scene where she emerges as the defender of the prostitute. Right. And right. I did a little research, uh, kind of before our episode tonight, because what little I know about the middle East, one thing that is pretty sort of easy takeaway is the oppression of women. Um, yeah, right. and, I did a little digging and and just a few little notes kind of culturally there. Women's rights are severely restricted in Iran specifically um, to the point where women are even forbidden from watching men's sports and stadiums, oddly Mm, specific, mm. but women confront serious discrimination on issues such as marriage, divorce, and child custody have been sent to jail for publicly speaking out in favor of equal rights. Um, Because the government wants the population to grow, it's moving to ban medical procedures that women can undergo to avoid pregnancy. So like forced pregnancy, women in Iran are forced to wear the hijab, forced to wear the hijab, headscarf worn by Muslim women in public, even applies to young schoolgirls. Married women can't leave the country without husband's permission. Overarching, Mm. overarching theme here is cultural, societal, political, complete oppression you know kind right of. right and and so viewed in that light what to just sort of a casual eye might be just oh it's a woman vampire movie suddenly mm. becomes this vengeance fantasy and i don't even mean that negatively but just it's an oppressed minority making a parable of its overcoming 
And I think yeah. that's really yeah. powerful. Yeah. And and if you if you this is me speculating truly as I've tried to process the scene with the kid. And it's almost like I, I do think Arash, the the sort of sort of lover of the film, is meant to be this kind of outlier for her. But in yes. terms, you know, like he doesn't fit the traditional mold. She's clearly attracted to and or drawn to him, compelled by him um, in a way that traditionally men have not been for her because of cultural stuff. But right. processing the interaction with the kid, just kind of go with me here. But like the notion that okay. an oppressed people group personified by her is is articulating its animus to a youthful iteration of its oppressor. And that's like mm, really mm. fascinating to me. Sure, um, sure. You know, she doesn't act out violently towards the child, but does clearly intend intimidation in a way that we would say, wow, geez, goodness gracious. It's just a kid. <laughs> right. Right. But, what did this kid do to you? Right, right. Right. But viewed through this cultural lens suddenly takes on a whole new meaning of, mm. you know, she's, and, and so again, juxtapose that with your comment about how she just intuits. Well, again, if it's vengeance, wish fulfillment, this prostitute who has tried to be clean and has not been pursuing these sort of negative mm. destructive behaviors is, is forced. It's forced upon her by this. I know it's an overused buzzword, but this patriarchal sort of representer, you know, representative right. no, person. Right. Right. Well, then girl becomes this harbinger of, of vengeance and death mm. to that system. Yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Just really fascinating from that standpoint. Well, I definitely think that's I, – I don't think it would be any degree of stretch – to look at so many of these key f- scenes in the film is exactly what you're describing. This is an inversion, it, an inversion and a subversion of traditional tropes that we've seen. Uh, like you, you already mentioned the title, Girl Walks Home Alone. That's in, any, in most other horror movies, that's the uh, setting of the a victim. victim yeah. yeah, a victim uh, coming into counter with a predatory thing. But in this one... It is that is the the fear. That's what you're really afraid of, right? And I I, d- I like what you're saying about the she does become this sort of embodiment of the antithesis of everything that that they would normally the 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 pimp the drug dealer he feels so secure in his masculinity, and she has him screaming. Right. <laughs> within yeah. you know, within seconds. And then that boy who again, like you said, very seems to be a genuinely good natured boy, he does not seem to be lying when he says, like, yeah, I'm I'm a good I'm a good boy, but uh, you know, that that intimidation and she does and it's I think it's important to note she doesn't do anything to him. Like in terms right. of like she doesn't right. she doesn't hurt him. So there there has to be something. I very agree with you she doesn't hurt him, but doing. she definitely threatens him. You know, definitely Oh of, yeah. You oh, know, bears her puts fangs, the fear of God everything. in him. No, no absolutely, absolutely. If we can use our title, <laughs> um, but no, she, she, yeah, she bears her fangs at him. She says, "I'm going to be watching you for the rest of your life." Um, and then it is interesting to see, in light of, and of course, obvious, it's very obvious. Well, I shouldn't say obvious, but it, I don't think it's a stretch read to see, like, yeah, she is 
ven- you know, avenging the poor prostitute who has been forcibly. I mean, she admittedly the 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 scene itself is really fascinating because that prostitute's resistance is so uh, tamed. Like she's constantly saying, "No, please." Please, no. But it's not a violent scene. She's not thrashing against him or anything. It's just right. you, you feel the weight of the beaten downness of right. this character and the beaten downness perhaps representative of that entire people group. Yes. Of the people who yes. who plead and beg, please, no, please, no, and uh, and just... It, are are helpless against the steady continuation of that oppression into the midst of that it emerges this this force this mm-hmm. force of nature mm-hmm. um that's like no and and takes it out but then her relationship with arash and how that changes it how he sees and puts together because of the cat that like oh you had a hand in my father's death. Like mm-hmm. he knows it, but I—it's oh my gosh, it's so captivating that scene at the end where like she's in the car, and he's standing out in front in the headlights, and they're not saying anything to each other, but the weight of what each of them knows and what may or may not be possible. Like I wonder what she's thinking. Is she thinking, "Am I going to have to kill this man that I kind of love"? Or is she viewing, you know, like, what is she thinking about of him in that moment? And then it's kind of intuited that as he's standing there staring at the car, it's like, do I embrace this? Do I go with this? Uh, Am I just going to go along with, am I going to go along with this? Are we going to, you know, drive away together? It's it's a a fascinating, a fascinating examination of the tensions that exist in those dynamics. Well, it's interesting. There's there is far too much happening in my brain. It's far too late to try to make it co- fully coherent. Okay, but it's interesting because I keep processing the dynamic she displays towards the male characters in the film, and this is a in the real kind of in real time type of note. But like, I feel like it's important for me. In, in I don't even know that ways that you'd say it's quite as important for you, which is not dismissive whatsoever, but like having a house full of women is very important mm. to me to kind of comprehend the world they perceive, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's important for all of us to, to be em- empathetic and, and, and do that. But f- for me, it feels like a particular burden that I have to just kind of, uh, the director is a woman. This character is a woman meant to manifest certain expressions of feeling. It's, it's significant that no one has a proper name per se, or rather, right. or rather yeah. that there are very representative names assigned to people. The, the prostitute, sure, right. like right. this right. is f- for sex or whatever. This is a, this is a representative character used by a segment of society. Yes. Right. And, it's it's funny like if this if this analogy gets super unwieldy i'll re- roll it back but in my sort of thinking through this child's role in this story i think about 
I won't, you can, you can, yes, amen, if you want, but don't feel like you have to. But I think about sometimes in eras like a Me Too, where men, like I would say myself, and maybe like you would say you, can sometimes think, oh my goodness, I, I don't want to get burned by this because I, I don't know if I've mistreated or been, been mm-hmm. neg- negative or, or, you know, kind of oppressed or, or manipulated in, in ways that were intentional or obscene. You know what right, I mean? Like right. there is yeah, this way right. of like, Oh, Oh man. And, and this is a, a, um, this is an extreme way to say it, but like, Oh, I don't want to get burned by this or, or I've, right, I've been right. fine. Don't, don't, don't catch me in the crosshairs, but sure, I understand. And so I sort of look at that child as that, like, this is a person who is not yet and or may never be a a practitioner of oppression but is going is feeling the singe of the fire from this oppressed demographic yeah does sure does that make sense sure. at all you know it does it does yeah and, i understand and i think i'm i'm going to pivot into our our the fear of god godfather richard rohr here for a moment I was listening to you. you, I have you to thank for this, by the way, which is a a, a positive, but also if you're like, oh my God, Nathan, stop talking about this. But I've really been listening to another name for everything. A good bit. Yes, 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 yes. And the most recent episode is a second part of a conversation about, and it's titled like duality in relationships. But Mm -hmm. one of the questions they field is from a 60 something woman Catholic who's been plugged into church for decades and who is very angry and hurt and burned by the experience she sees bearing out in the, in the Catholic church specifically, but in the broader Mm. church and the broader church generally. Yeah. And it's interesting because they address this question. I'm trying to feed this back into a girl walks home alone. So they basically, they, the podcast host roar and his two co-hosts, one of whom is a woman and one of whom is a, a man probably in their thirties, both of them in their thirties. And they sort of talk about this. They unpack this notion of women who have been serving in the trenches of, of ministry and church life who are observing the, the revelations of deceit and pain inflicted by male leadership and authority mm. structures and, and, yeah. and kind of asking Richard Rohr this question of like, where, where do they fit? What are they supposed to do? And it's really fascinating. And, and this is where I'm tying this into the movie is he says, I think you and I've talked about this before on the show, but he identifies three major kind of phases of, kind of living that being construction, deconstruction and reconstruction. And, Mm. you know, construction is sort of this first half of life idea. You're just building your moral framework. You're building your worldview. Something may happen. It may be a real specific tragedy. It may be a broader disheartenment that causes deconstruction, but fascinatingly, and as a sidebar, something that's been a little convicting for me is the notion of reconstruction. But regardless, he identifies in this woman's question, he says, this is a person in the deconstruction phase. And he says, they have to, they have to go through this now. Yeah. And in fact, he identifies the anger of women and he says, this is important. 
and they need to feel this and they need to own it and they need to live in it because this is mm. part of this is part of a grieving process like this is in the in the ebb and flow of resurrection and dying this is the dying right this yeah. is yeah. the disillusionment this is the heartbreak this is the tragedy this is the pain all this sort of stuff wrapped up manifesting as anger and and yet we don't want to skip to the end yet but at a certain point reconstruction has to happen which is his answer to this woman's question which is own your pain own your anger live in that be in that but just know a moment will come where reconstruction will need to begin and you'll in order to be fruitful and life-giving to others around you which is ultimately the point of the gospel you'll have to start building something new and so that's a long-winded way of of addressing this film which is you look at these cultural trends which are oppression of an entire gender and people group manifesting as the spirit of anger and vengeance and like the need the need to the need to permit that and like knowing that unintended burnings will happen when you get too close to the fire of that anger does that make sense right oh yes of course but at the same time you know, for people like you and I who might feel like this little boy who are like, oh, my God, yeah, I think I'm a good boy. Oh, my God, you're scary. You know, right, um, right. Sure, sure. still just need to kind of get out of the way. <laughs> mm, yeah. You know, yeah. I'm talking a lot, but I'm trying to just sort of build this framework that's kind of arrested me in this film. No, it makes sense. Um, so one of the things that the the she's wearing and a lot of this is because of the shot or that she's wearing but Uh in many ways one of the final shots evoked in me thoughts of red riding hood but like an inverted red riding hood and obviously there's no color in the film at all but i'm looking at her and i was like oh man she reminds me in this shot of like a noir red riding hood but she's the wolf and it was just again it was just fascinating to me now what your what you're describing, because Red Riding Hood is a story very much about like, you know, hapless, helpless little girl who in some iterations of it is eventually saved by the big, bad, bold huntsman. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's lots of, it's also been a template for sort of like subverting those tropes of the hapless, helpless, you know, female in perilous situation. And one of the things that I do, I understand, and I don't even I don't even feel any disagreement that, um, you know, like we, you and I have talked, I think mostly off pod about like the swing, the swinging pendulum, uh, or the swinging pendulum, whatever the swinging pendulum, um, uh, the, uh, but how it pivoted, it's been pivoted so far in one direction for so long that the, the pivoting back is going to require a bit of a breaking, like there there has to be sort of a shattering to come back like you can't force your way back from extreme to normal like sometimes there's a there's an equal and opposite reaction that has to happen before normal can even be possible and uh that's what that's part of what it makes me think of to hear Richard Rohr's reflections on like the need to feel and own and live in and let play out the anger that comes from you know what has what has been wrought for however long well, and time, I, but I, this is me putting words in Rich Orr's mouth here, but I do think there would still be a guideline of do no harm as best one can, but yeah, but, sure. I understand, you know, yeah. and, and I think it's important to note that those who need to feel anger 
are the ones themselves who have to come to recognition of when that anger is supposed to end. You know what I mean? Like you can't suddenly become this voice of reason saying, okay, it's time to not be angry anymore. Right. Um, Of course. But it's interesting. um, You brought up an interesting point with the final shot of him outside the car, her in it. And what's powerful to me about that in this thread of expressed anger by an oppressed group at that whom they've been oppressed by. Right, right. What's indicative of that final moment, or however late in the film that is that you're describing, is the power dynamic is there's an equilibrium. Like, Mm. he traditionally, because of his gender, has power over her. She, by virtue of her skills and talents and identity, is more powerful than him. Right. This is, it's almost like, I think you'll understand this. Um, that sounded like dismissive. Like, <laughs> no, you're smart no, enough, no, no, Reed. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's, it's that moment of reckoning that happens in a, in a, an intimate relationship where you're like, oh my God, you're, you're a person. And that can be awesome and scary. And I'm a person. And that can be awesome and scary. And neither of us are intended to hold power over each other. Mm-hmm. And that can be awesome and scary. So let's walk forward in this awesome scariness, trusting that mutual will to good and will to health and will to well-being will kind of guide the steps. Does that make sense at all? Sure. Like, yeah, no, it does. It does. The power dynamic is is on an, a level playing field is what it feels like in you describing that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I understand what you mean. Yeah. Am I just kind of no, rattling off? Uh, no, 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 no. I mean, I think there's look, there's a ton to this film and I feel like it's a film that rewards revisiting and I feel like it's a film that rewards a reflection and and uh, you know, pulling on any of the disparate threads. But there's all see there's something that we pro- probably don't even have time to get into right now, but of just the 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 ways in which loneliness and despair um, will sort of attract that appetite, will attract that hunger. And I feel like there's about a dozen different ways at minimum to approach the dynamic of this girl, this vampire, in the midst of this town, this bad city, preying upon those who, as we've already alluded to many times, have traditional roles of being the predator of being mm-hmm. the one who's in the position of power. Mm-hmm. But they're but they're definitively not in any of these moments. And when she it's so creepy that moment where she's stalking the prostitute well, you think she's stalking the prostitute, but where she's like following the prostitute in that one shot from the side yeah, where yeah. like she you know keeps getting closer. But she's not going up there to do harm. She's not even hunting her. She's wanting to uh, basically bestow upon her these, the, I believe that's the scene she gives her, the jewelry, right? Mm-hmm, Am I mm-hmm. ma- remembering this correctly? I, I think that's right, um, yeah. Um, so it's just fascinating because the ones under threat are the ones who would typically be the intimidators, the ones who would typically be the 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 ones holding the keys and holding the power. And I do, I do find it fascinating. I, I like your take on the final scene being basically a leveling of the playing field Although it, it's difficult for me because Arash is such an outlier to all the rest of it. Like he's a he's a surrogate for it in that he's a male and but like even uh, 
to the who's dubbed the princess to the girl who he's doing work in her house um you know he's like you should can you give me a minute to do this rather than like like you shouldn't be alone with me like that's what he says to her and and like asks her to leave um which I which I found fascinating because he immediately from the, from the word go is not stereotypical of that dynamic even though in many ways he represents all of the stereotypes of that dynamic um uh, but he does not behave that way and i think that's part of why she does not right prey upon yeah, him yeah that's she, why they're attracted she, to each other yeah yeah she doesn't she sees in him the opportunity to have something different i won't even call it something better but just this is something different and uh and it is it's 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 a it's a captivating and again mesmerizing is the word that i keep thinking of when i think about this film um it just it uh, for me it draws me in i don't even know that i i mean this film honestly i think i've agreed with every word that you've said about like unpacking these themes and and extrapolating them and i find them so captivating um but i think there's something about this film that is just simply beyond me that is simply like i just i, I maybe it's the uh, focal point of I'm not I don't have an Iranian heritage um, I think so many of these dynamics I can step inside of them and examine them but I don't know that I'll ever fully understand them maybe after you know a million conversations with the right relevant people but I really am I really am drawn to it and I'm captivated by it and I think it's a I think it's a really fascinating film it's one that I can easily I've seen it twice now this was my second viewing um, and it's one that I could easily see myself uh, revisiting every so often just to see if I can track one more thing that might be on its wavelength. Sure. Well, and, and don't get me wrong. Like I, I, it's not so much that I like every single thing the film does, but the, the things I did, I was impacted by, I was majorly impacted by, you know, whether it's, sure, sure. Whether it's some of those scenes identified, whether again, it's kind of the, the costume design of her, um, so once yeah. you start layering those technical choices on top of the thematic stuff, it, it just seems like a really rich, uh, really rich oh, no. text. It, oh, it absolutely is. Well, I, uh, unless you had something else burning that you really wanted to say, I'd love to, uh, pivot to the fog meter for this one. If we could, you ready to put it in the books? Uh, yeah, I am good to go to the fog meter. The fog meter, if you are just joining us, um, is, uh, we measure each film based on fear and or scares and God or substance is kind of the, the main metrics we use in keeping with the title of our podcast. Um, for fear, for a girl walks home alone at night, there isn't a ton that's inherently quote unquote scary about it, but I do think the imagery, the iconography is employed in such a kind of fresh fashion that, um, you know, kind of keeps you on your toes through the, the narrative i'm gonna lean into a five i think on the fear factor for this one okay okay um so yeah i i'm kind of right there with you i think five feels right for the fear notion there's a couple of startles and there's definitely some harrowing uh elements but uh but yeah i I, i'll definitely sit there with you on the five for me on the substance meter i mean dang Man, I, I was just sitting here saying, like, I think this film is a bit beyond me. I think there's a lot going on into it. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land at an 8 for substance for me. Um, I think there's a tremendous amount of simple, elegant, and compelling uh, thematic elements. I mean, just there's so much that we didn't even get to. I, I wrote down you know, the ways that we feed off of others what we can't locate in ourselves and, and just all of these. Oh, my gosh. There's just so much to it, even beyond the socio, sociopolitical ramifications. It's a, it's a fascinating film. So 8 for me for The God Meter. Well, in the way that you mirrored my five on fear, I am going to mirror your eight on God slash substance. I think, you know, again, it's possible some of these other foreign language films with the proper research will reveal levels of context kind of heretofore unrealized. But I feel like this film is so it's not just a vampire film. It's it's significant in that expression as a means of dialogue for a cultural population. Um, and I find that really fascinating. Um, so yeah, yeah I am going to parrot your eight on <laughs> the God meter, which brings episode three of speaking in tongues. A girl walks home alone at night to a 6.5 on the fog meter, which is a very impressive rating. All things considered. I... I like it indeed. But the, the the really big relevant question that I don't feel that I need to ask you, given so many of what you've said, but would you recommend A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night? Um, absolutely. I would go watch the the disco ball scene I'm referring to right now if it weren't <laughs> one thirty in the morning, Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> right, uh, right, 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 right. What about yourself, friend? Oh, high recommendation. Yeah. High recommendation. I Yeah, I I do feel like just for the sense of just pushing the buttons, I feel like people need to be prepared that you've got to get on the wavelength. Yeah. I feel like it's it's a film that, that asks quite a bit of you. I don't know. It's hard for me to gauge how accessible it is as a film, but it is completely captivating, completely mesmerizing. I love it. I love revisiting it. Uh, it was more than an hour into the film before I realized how much time had gone by. I think it's it's for for it to be as deliberately paced as it is. I feel like it is simultaneously somewhat propulsive, um, and just there's a seduction to it. And I don't even mean that in like a I gotcha. uh, you know a purely sensual way. Like it's just there. It draws you in in a very captivating and compelling way. So yes. Uh, with a couple of those qualifiers, I give it a very high recommendation. Well, Riri. Yeah. So, we, um, yeah, what's next? So we have put episode three of Speaking in Tongues in the books. Next week, we are going to do something that I... So you... Uh, I'm just going to lay this one at your feet, Nathan. You picked a girl walks home alone at night, and I'm very, very grateful that you did. Next week... Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you if you're not into this or whatever, uh, blame me because this one's <laughs> all me. Um, so this is one of my very favorite films uh, ever. Period. Uh, but next week for hashtag Speaking in Tongues, we are going to be covering a film from 1964 that is titled Kwaidan. Um It is a collection of four Japanese uh, supernatural stories. It is lengthy. I am preparing you right now. It is a three hour film. Uh, you can watch it. But in it's chunks. anthology? I didn't realize that. It's anthology. Yes, okay. it's anthology. It is four 
uh, separate films that are uh, that are linked thematically, but are separate unto themselves. So you can watch it in space if a three-hour runtime is intimidating to you. But 1964's Quaidon is our penultimate episode of this phase of Speaking in Tongues, and we will be discussing it right here next week, along with there you go. episodes seven and eight of season one of Netflix's series dark so we're ramping up towards the finale of that show as well uh, check it out quite on if you have that criterion cl- uh, channel subscription uh, then it is available there uh, otherwise it is available to rent um, but uh, yes seek out 1964's quite on and nathan thank you so much for having this conversation with me as always you're welcome and, brother uh, i'm happy to uh once more find jesus on every road and I'm mm, happy amen. to be on this road with you and look forward to seeing everybody next week um, after three hours of 60s, <laughs> 60s era Japanese supernatural anthology storytelling. It, indeed. Indeed. Woo. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God. You can like and follow us on Facebook, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. You can follow us on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or go to morethanonelesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music was composed by Lee Wright and Reed Lackey, and our podcast art was crafted by Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com. Merchandise for the show can now be found at tpublic.com. Just search for The Fear of God Podcast, all one word. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or a review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.